Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Let's spend a minute talking to Jesus. You know, the song when we were doing the run-through, um, I just want to speak the name of Jesus, absolutely wrecked my soul. It's like, that, that's it. I, I just want the trumpet to blow. I want to go home. I, I'm, I'm done with the crazy. But the Lord's not. The Lord's not. And he said, we're going to stay here until he's ready, not till Joe's ready. And so as we gather together, I want to share with you a word. You know, there's a, there's a scene in the movie, maybe you've seen it back in the day, Oliver. No, don't, 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 let, me, don't let me go there yet. I want to celebrate that we took 200, those of you that this is Vineyard, 275 bags of groceries out into Richmond, Kentucky, knocked on doors, talked to them about Jesus, prayed for them. It was just a blessing to see the videos and the, and the, um, the pictures that came through where our children were in here getting things ready and they had their own little lineup and how they were going to do it. It was absolutely magnificent. It wasn't just Thanksgiving food. It was food. It was food so that people could put it in the closet, not just for Thursday, but if it needed to last, it could last. And it was just a blessing. We wondered if we would get 250 bags out the door, and then so much stuff started coming in, we started thinking, maybe we'll get 300 bags out the door. But I'll tell you what, for our congregation, 275 bags is a lot to come and sacrifice to Jesus and say, Lord, we love you, so we're feeding your kids. And that's what we did, and that's a wonderful thing. As we gather together, um, I want to come before you. I'm going to share this, this uh, message. I'm going to keep it fairly short, I believe, tonight. I believe. Don't hold me to it. Don't make any bets. All right? There's a scene in the movie, Oliver Twist. Um, I loved that movie as a kid. Back then, it was a black and white that I'd seen from days gone by, from you know, my parents' time, so to speak. But I'm, I'm 63, so I, I watched some black and white TV. Okay, just want to let you know. All right? I remember when we got color. But I, I remember seeing this, this video, and it's all about Oliver Twist, and there's just this one scene where he hasn't been in the orphanage that long, I don't think, and they gave him a little bit of porridge to eat, and it was just a little bit. That's it. And he came forward, and he came forward. He had his little bowl, and he was the only one gutsy or brash or, or just, I mean, he came forward with his bowl, and he said, please, sir, I want some more, please. That picture right there is just emblazoned in my head, okay? It's absolutely emblazoned in my head. And, and, and that's where my heart is. Please, sir, I want some more, please. And that's what, what it is. The problem is it was emblazoned in my head as a picture of how we approach God. I knew from little up I was raised Catholic that there was a God. I knew that. I just thought he hated me. I'm just being honest with you, okay? I just thought he hated me. It was all penance. It was all you got to earn it. It was all you got to say it. It was all you got to confess it. It was all you got to do it. And his son was always hanging on the cross when I went to Mass. And it's like, somebody tell him that he got down. Please, tell them he got down. Um, but at the end of the day, that ended up being my picture of God. If you want anything from God, you've got to come groveling. You've got to come sniveling. You've got to come begging. And that seems to be a picture. As a matter of fact, I used to, it used to make me think that I was a pitiful sinner in need of a generous God that would contemptuously resign himself to giving me a little bit more porridge, but stop asking. And that was my picture of God a long time ago. And then I read the word. And then I started reading my Bible. And then I got saved. And then I fell in love with God. I fell in love with God after I started reading my Bible when I just didn't want to go to hell. 
But then I fell in love with God and I realized that God was in love with me and he wasn't trying to keep me out of hell. He was trying to get me into a relationship with him. But the byproduct of that is I'm not going to hell. See, it's not the purpose, it's the byproduct. And so that's what I ended up with. But sometimes I look at my life, more my attitude lately, and I think, why would God give me even a little bit of porridge? Why does he let me do this? I'm not the most qualified, perfect guy to stand up here and talk to you. I'm just the one that was called to do it. And so I'm just going to do it to the best of my ability. I read the word and I realized that my Father which art in heaven, what I used to say is a prayer, is a generous, warm Father, especially when I am generous, when I am obedient, and when I am chasing after him. And I am enjoying that. But he is a lover and a giver and not a hater and a taker. And so as we uh, look at the scripture, I want to take you to a very familiar story for people that were raised in church or have been in church for a while. It's in the book of John. It's in chapter 2. And I want to look at the character, the person of God in this story and where you find yourself. It's chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. And it's a, it, it's, a, it's a story that is there. And you could preach five, six, seven, maybe eight different messages from it. I've been doing this for 30 years. And every time I go back and read something, it's like there's another one. And it's like, how did I miss that all these years? I could have been preaching about that. But I want to look at this. Beginning of verse 1, it says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. He got the invitation. He got the invitation. Okay? So they were also there. It says, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother came to him and said, Hey, they have no more wine. Woman, he said, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Just do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for Jews by Jews for ceremonial washings, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So there's approximately 180, if we just go to the high side, um, gallons worth of jars sitting right there waiting empty. Useless. There's the sermon for you. Jars are waiting useless. You ever felt like a jar waiting useless? We're not doing that tonight, okay? But there they are. And Jesus said to the servants, not to the, not to the master of the ceremony, not to his mama, not even to his disciples. He said to, his, to the servants, not his, but to the servants. He said, fill those jars with water. He said, fill them up. So they did. They filled them up to the brim. And that's all well and good until he says, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And now they have a decision to make. The master of the banquet wants wine. He doesn't want water. He's not out of water, clearly, because they just put 180 gallons in those things, up to 180 gallons in those jars. He's not out of water. He's out of wine. And they had a decision to make. Are they going to do it? They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water, and this is where we learned, that has been turned into wine. And he did not realize where it had come from, Though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Who do you think the, the, the miracle was done for? The master or the servants? See? Jesus came to a manger, not a castle. And that's the picture that we're looking at right now. So they said, uh, they did, it says that he did not realize where, the, um, where it had come from. The servants who had drawn the water out knew. And then he called the bridegroom himself aside and said... Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. 
What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. There was no doubt in their minds that a guy that could take the garden hose and put it in a 55-gallon bucket and fill that sucker up and then tell me to go take a dipper and dip it out and between dipping it out and carrying it to the front room it turned into the best of the best of the best. It wasn't watered down wine. Jesus didn't make um, Welch's grape juice. Jesus didn't make something that was pretty good. Jesus didn't make um, $12 wine if there's such a thing. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus made the best of the best of the best to give to the bridegroom as we read this story. And this is a real story. This is not a parable that Jesus told. This is not a golden book story from your Sunday school class that you could learn something about Jesus if it were real. This is real. This happened. This took place 2,000 and some years ago. Jesus was at a wedding. He wasn't at church. He wasn't at the synagogue. Wasn't hanging about with a bunch of religious people having a, an argument about what it, is it real wine, is it not real wine. He simply went to a wedding. As we share this story, the things that I want to share with you real quickly are this. Jesus comes. Jesus comes to the wedding. Jesus isn't so holy and so God that he did not enter into the lives of the people that he came down here to save. Jesus comes to the wedding. God cares about what it is that I'm doing. He watches. He's aware. He loves my celebrations the moments in our lives when we realize the joy that he gives us and we invite people over and we commune and sing and make merry, these moments are the moments God is sowing into our lives, but we don't always pay attention to them. We don't always stop and say, hey, look what God is doing. But Jesus came down here to get involved, not to watch. He came down here to come to your wedding, to your dinner. Mark 2, it says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. It was a habit of his. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Levi got up, apparently left all the money, and followed Jesus. There was something about that man that I am longing to know in a personal way. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, at this point, he didn't get baptized. He wasn't saved. He just followed Jesus, took Jesus to his house, invites him in for dinner. As Levi was having dinner at the tax collector's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, the religious people who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with sinners, uh, tax collectors and sinners? Why does he hang out with filthy, awful, nasty, ugly people? Listen, I need you to understand, Jesus hung out with filthy, awful, nasty people. But grab a hold of your seat. Jesus didn't sin with filthy, awful, nasty people. He hung out with them, and there is a big difference. It, it amazes me, the Christian people, that will say, hey, Jesus hung out with sinners. Don't you look at me side-eye. Listen, Jesus didn't sin. He didn't give us permission to sin. Jesus went to find lost sheep. That's where we're supposed to be, where there's lost sheep. 
And Jesus went to get involved in their lives. And so he went to the wedding. And the scripture says he went to Levi's house. And the scripture will tell us he went to where um, they were fishing. And Jesus, excuse me, and the scripture will tell us that, that he went and touched the, 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 the lady woman, uh, the woman's son who had died. He touched dead people. Jesus did these things. Jesus worked on the Sabbath according to the Pharisees. I don't consider it work, but it was work to them. First time he preached, he offended them so bad, they took him up on a hill according to the book of Luke, and they were going to throw him off the hill and kill him dead. And he walked out from amongst them. He offended them so bad with his words. But we like to think Jesus is just like, that's right, mate. And then the Savior came down the hill because you all got that, your, you know, your U version clicked on Australian, don't you? You know you do. Jesus wasn't Australian. Jesus was not white. Jesus was Middle Eastern. Okay? We follow an Eastern religion believe it or not. And that's the picture of Jesus. He came to the house. He came to sinners. He came to the needy. And he came to the religious like me. He came to the pompous. He came to the prideful. And he came to the broken. And Jesus didn't go to that wedding except for the fact that he had been specifically invited. Jesus and his disciples, the scripture says, also had been invited. So let me ask you a question. Do you want Jesus to come to your party? I mean, really. Now, when I ask that question, what I mean is, do you want him to go to the movie with you? Do you want him to go to the bar with you? Do you want him to go to the pub with you? Do you want him to go to, to dinner with you? Do you want him to drive in the car with you and your friend? Do you want Jesus to come into your life because he doesn't come except you give him an invitation. We love the story from the book of Revelation that says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Not, behold, I stand at the door, kick it in, hi yeah. That's not what it says. I love the painting from days gone by. Jesus in the garden, he's white, but he's standing at the door and he's knocking because there's no handle on the side, his side of the door. And the point of the artist is you have to open the door and let him in. He can't force his way. Do you want Jesus to come into your relationships? Do you want Jesus to come into your house? Because he's waiting on an invitation from you, even saved people. Because sometimes we think Jesus is for Sunday. Jesus is for difficult situations. But I'm telling you right now, Jesus wants to come to your wedding. You just have to decide what your wedding is because he's waiting on his invitation. The other thing I want to share with you real quick is that the wedding planner was short-sighted. I don't know what Jesus' mother had to do with anything, and I love the story, how it unfolds. He got to come to the wedding. His disciples got to come to the wedding. His mother was at the wedding. It would appear to me that she had some role. I don't know. But when they ran out of wine, she ran to Jesus, and she said, Look, they're out of wine. She didn't tell him what to do, but clearly this was a woman that had seen this man somewhere in his childhood do something that made her believe that he could do something about this present situation. And I love when he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? She's not even listening. She turns to the servant and says, just do whatever he says. I'm out of here. i got things to do. 
Read it for yourself. I, I'm not making this up. Lord, they're out of wine. Woman, what does this have to do with me? I don't care what he says. Just do it. Just do what he says. Jesus, I have to go take care of some stuff. You guys do what he says. And they did. And Jesus did. And it was incredible. The wedding planner was short-sighted. Now, I don't know if you've got a wedding upcoming in this room right here today. But I'm just saying, biblically speaking, it lasts about seven days. You might have to kill the fatted herd, not the fatted calf. And you invite all your friends and your family over, and your friends and your family help you make the food back then, and, 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 and it's a big to-do, and it's awesome, and people stay, and sometimes they just they, they had a little too much. But at the end of the day, this is a story. Jesus came to a celebration, and the person who was having the celebration was embarrassed because they ran out. You ever feel like Jesus comes to you and he says, I can't help you because you did this to yourself. Because to be honest with you, as Christian people, as the second brother, not the prodigal, but the other one, those of you that know your Bible, we tend to do that to people. We tend to say, well, Jesus loves you, but you got yourself in, so too bad. You got what you deserve. Listen to me, I, I never got what I deserved. I got grace. And thank God I did not get justice because I would be in hell now. I love the fact that I was gifted mercy, but I'm building my life on the grace because grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is just simply not getting what you deserve. But grace is getting what you don't deserve. These people didn't deserve Jesus come in and fix their problem, but Jesus fixed their problem. And what I noticed when I was reading down through this and putting it all together is Jesus didn't mock, didn't mock these people for failing to plan. He didn't say like some of our parents did, well, are you stupid? Well, are you dumb? Well, can't you figure that out? Well, look, you got yourself in. I'm going to go back in the house. You get yourself out. He didn't do that. He said, all right, let's do this thing. It's on i got three and a half years from this point. Let's go. Go fill those jars with water. And those people went and filled those jars with water. Jesus didn't mock these people, and he didn't mock their friends, and he didn't mock who was at the party. He simply got involved. You ever felt like you were so short-sighted that Jesus must be done with you, and you deserve this? Listen to me. That's not the song we're singing tonight. I don't get what I deserve because the blood of Jesus was shed for me. So stand back up. The psalmist said, and I love this psalm, you know I love this psalm. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. There is no place that you are going to go and hide from God, and he didn't see what you did. When you get to heaven and you say, Lord, you know how we do when we go to Granny's house, Granny, there's some things you should know. You know, when you get older and you're about my age and your mom's still alive, you know, there's some things you want to get off your chest and you go sit down and you say, Mom, 
there's some things I did you don't know nothing about. She says, honey, I know all about it. When you show up to Jesus and you say, Lord, there's some things I should tell you, he's going to say, do you think that surprised me? How did I not see that? He's not going to say that. He's going to say, I was there. The truth of the matter is, when we need him the most, but expect him the least, he's right there. Far side of the sea, darkest dark, top of the mountain, he's there. Doesn't matter what you're going through, he's there. And I, I love him for that. We don't often consider going to him at the front end of a problem. We think he won't care about us, our trivial little issues. Listen, write this down. If he cared about the wine at that wedding, he cares about the money in your pocket, he cares about the hole in your shoes, he cares about the tire. That wedding was not a need. It was a want. I can do your wedding 10 minutes in my office right now, save you a lot of money if you happen to be in here and you were going to get married. Just saying. 10 minutes. I've done it before. They planned it. They worked it. They decided to use the money for something else, like a honeymoon. 10 minutes in my office. A whole wedding party with wine and everything, not a necessity. And yet, Jesus did something about it. Why don't you believe that God cares about you like that? Why is it so hard to believe that God could be generous and loving and want to put his arms around you and say, yeah, you kind of blew it. Watch me fix this for you. Watch me do this. We often don't think about going to him first. When we fail, he's there waiting. When we're victorious, he's there waiting. When you're crying, he's there waiting. When you're dancing, he is there waiting. The last thing I want to share with you is this. God cared about their everyday life. He cares that you've got to go to work tomorrow. He does. You're not the center of the focus of the kingdom of God. Everybody is. But that doesn't mean that if a sparrow falls, he doesn't see it. He sees it. And if he sees the sparrow fall, he knows you. And if he knows you, then he cares about what you're going to go through tomorrow when you go to work. And so invite him to come with you if you have to go. Don't complain. Invite him to come with you and show you what you can do. The wedding was not spiritual. The wedding was not necessary. The wedding was not a need. It was not a life or dress struggle. It was not an evangelistic event that millions of people were going to get saved at. It was a wedding. It was a party that lasted up to seven or six days, because we're not going to party on the Sabbath, up to six days, celebrating that somebody's daughter had found a man and they were excited about him. God wanted to give them the best that he had. I'm not talking health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm just telling you, God stepped into that wedding and gave them the best, not the least, and not what they could get by with. The best. If you become a member of the kingdom, or, I mean, excuse me, of the family, of the ruler, of the heavens and the earth, why on earth do you think you have to live in a shed out back? Why? Why do you think you can't come boldly before the throne of grace in your time of need and say, Dad, and not worry about getting killed, but respect the fact that he is an all-powerful God, a fire that could consume us, and know that we have the right. 
Jesus said, ask and you will receive. He didn't say be greedy and be a grubber. He said, ask and you would receive. There's a lot of things I don't understand. But I'm real big on taking God at his word, accepting what he does with it, and acting accordingly. I really am. Because I want to share this with you. God wants to give you more than you're willing to ask for. But only one little boy got up in that movie and walked up to the headmaster and said, please, I'd like some more, please. Everybody else stood back and watched. Only one disciple got out of the boat and said, Jesus, if that's you, I want to be where you are. Tell me to come. The other sat in the boat and told him, you can't walk on water. Get back in here. The other said, you can't do that. That's wrong. It's not scientifically possible. And he went anyway. And then he had to walk back because Jesus had to pick him back up and put him top of the water. So he walked out, fell in the water, got up, walked back. He had a story to tell. The other one said, we saw it. Peter said, I did it. I want to do it. I don't want to watch it. I'm not interested in watching Christian people do things. I want to do things that Jesus asked me to do. And I want to ask Jesus to let me do things I never dreamed of. Like go to Zimbabwe with my friends from this church and meet people that needed food and believe that if I came back here and raised enough money on a regular basis, we could feed those kids every single day in that school. Not just Monday, Wednesday, and Friday or Tuesday and Thursday. And that's what you've been doing for the last four years. 600 kids get fed every day because I came to you and I said, please, can we have some more, please? Yeah. God wants you to surrender your life to him and his mission. And when it comes to the things of God, specifically the Holy Spirit, I believe that God wants to give us more. But we keep offending the Holy Spirit by telling him he doesn't do this anymore. We keep grieving the Holy Spirit by saying, I'm not going to be a part of that. And we keep quenching the Holy Spirit when he whispers into our ears and says, well, at least go over there and buy their lunch or at least stop and say a prayer for them. And we say, well, that will make me uncomfortable and feel weird. And so we offend him and we grieve him and we quench him and then we wonder, why can't we have the fire and why can't things be like they were 100 or 200 years ago in the great revivals why can't they be like it was when Jesus was on the earth because we won't let it because we're afraid to go to God and say please sir can I have some more please of you God I want to encourage you to take time to listen to the Holy Spirit I want to invite you to stop and ask yourself what is your wedding today what is that thing that you just say, you know, if God would just enter into this thing, it would be great. It would be awesome. It would be wonderful. If I had to ask you what your wedding was, what would it be? What would it be? Here's the deal. We want to pray for you. If you're at the place in your walk with Jesus where you're saying, please, sir, can I have some more, please? Can we pray for you tonight? Can we do that? Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and it's time to do it. Or maybe you're like, God, there's got to be more. 
than what I'm experiencing in my relationship with you, and I want more. And today, Pastor Joe, I want it all. Can I pray for you? Could you just do me a favor? If that's you right now and you're saying, that is a song singing in my heart, yes, I want that. Come up here. Just get up and come up here. We just want to pray for you. I'm not going to do anything weird or something like that. Just get up out of your chair and say, yep, that's me right now. I'm not done. I'm not done, and I don't want to believe God's done with me. I need more. I need more. Because I believe God wants to give us more. I do. You ever been in that place where you quench the Holy Spirit and you're still sitting there going, ah, I feel like I'm in trouble. I don't know if I can go to God. Yes, you can. That's the time to go to God is when you're in trouble with God. <laughs> because he is long-suffering, full of mercy, abounding in mercy and grace. And he loves you. And this is a place to say, God, I love you. But there's just something inside of me. I need more. I want more. I want more. I want more. More of whatever it's going to take to do the things that you are asking me to do. To speak, to testify, to read, to understand, to love, to care for, to pay for. Whatever it is he's asking you to sacrifice. God, I need more courage. I need more... If you're going to ask me to give up this money, cash in this 401k, what, I'm going to have to have you step into my life, God, and, and rain down fire and tell me it's you. Today, we're raining down fire. Today, we're raining down fire. That's what we're doing. Please. I want some more, please. Some more of what you did in my life 10 years ago. 15 years ago. Please, sir. Can I have some more, please? Yeah. Can I get those of you that are on the prayer team to come up here? We're going to pray for these people. Again, we're not going to do anything weird. We just want to pray with you. If you've been trained on the prayer team up here and you're like, oh, I'm not on duty tonight. Yes, you are. <laughs> you know it's a, it's a pulse. We're always on duty when it's a pulse. You guys just go ahead and start praying for these people. Pick somebody and go. I don't want anybody leaving here till everybody's been prayed for, please. Okay? There you go. There you go. Get some. We good? Stay right here till we're done. Fathers, we come before you. God, we're at the wedding. We're there with you. God, we've invited you into our lives. We've invited you into our beings. We've invited you. And, and sometimes, God, we've accepted you, so we think you owe us. And you don't. You don't owe us a thing. Oh, but Lord, you said we could come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. And it's not always big, giant needs. It can be something silly like a wedding. And we didn't plan well, God. It's a college tuition, and we didn't plan enough money. It's a retirement, and we didn't plan enough money. But just like at the wedding in Cana, God, you didn't shame anybody. You had told them, come and follow me. And some of those people got to see what you did all over the place, and you did it for them. For some of them, Lord, it cost them their lives. Through the centuries, it has cost people their lives, and we live in a land of plenty, and it doesn't cost us anything except a little humility, a little embarrassment, because people will think we're weird. Forgive us, Holy Spirit. We just invite you to come and forgive us. Jesus said you would come, and you're here. Help me to be obedient, God. 
we invite you to fill these people up to overflowing, Lord. They're asking for more. God, we don't want to leave here without it. Lord, it starts with that surrender. The path grows through a baptism. And then we want to chase you into the desert if we have to. But God, we come to yield our lives that you might be glorified. And that we might just continue to be people who enjoy the favor of being in family with you. So we say, come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, come Holy Spirit.